Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com and many popular podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, the Family Podcast Network. You can listen on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sundays at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 820 AM across Central Virginia, and 1650 AM in Hampton Roads, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. That's pcfpodcast at vhha.com. I'm Will Seldon with VHHA. Today, we are sincerely appreciative to be joined by Charlie Ann Xavier, a mother of two and a truly inspirational person. She joins us today to share her personal story about surviving severe burns all over her body in a near-fatal 2021 work accident, her determination to beat long odds of survival with the help of the Evans Haynes Burn Center at VCU Health, and update us on her life now. So Charlie, thanks so much for being with us and your willingness to share your story with us today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. There's a reasonable chance that people listening to this may have heard your story because it's been chronicled by People Magazine and a couple other news organizations. But the short version is you were injured in an accident in September of 2021 that left you with severe burns covering 85% of your body. You were given a 3% chance of survival at the time. And throughout the recovery process, you endured what I can only imagine is incredible pain, dozens of surgeries and months of hospitalization. But with all that said, that summary doesn't even begin to do justice to your incredible will and determination to survive and recover. So if you would, can you just tell us what you want people to know about your story? Uh, Well, uh, yes. Well, first of all, it's kind of a scary thing. You know, you never know what can happen and disaster can strike at any moment. And I was very thankful to be able to be airlifted right away to the Evan Haynes Burn Center at VCU where I could receive the best care. I was in very critical condition and I believe at the time was the sickest person at VCU Hospital. It was 85% of my body was burned and I did not have a very good chance. I ended up being in the ICU for almost six months. Uh, was extremely difficult. I had daily wound care. Uh, they would remove my dressings, which sometimes would start at 5 a.m. And that would take, you know, a tremendous amount of time. And during that time, it was very painful. After removing all of my bandages, I would have to air time and the room would have to be at 86 degrees during that. And that would last for four hours before everyone would come back in and bandage me back up. It was just exhausting and it was every day. If I wasn't in surgery, I was having to to go through the pain of wound care. Uh, For surgeries, you know, it was really rough on my body. I had over 57 surgeries and procedures, but I, I remained strong and I fought. It wasn't easy when you're in the ICU and you're alone. You know, your mind can go to a really dark place and you just, you have to have the right mindset and you have to focus on all the positive. It's not always positive. There's always going to be bad days, but I just remain positive and I just remain focused and determined to return home to my two young boys. I was told that I would probably be in the ICU for at least 12 months. And when I was told that, I just could not 
fathom that because at the time with isolation precautions, I could not see my children. And I just, I just couldn't stand the fact that I may go that long without seeing them. My youngest was only nine months at the time of the accident. And I just kept thinking in my head, he's going to be grown when I return. So I fought. I fought so hard. My body allowed me to fight. My mind allowed me to stay strong. And I left there in half the time. And I went to rehab where I spent another three months trying to learn to walk again um, before I eventually went home to be with my boys. I am at this time wheelchair bound. I am working every day to get stronger and currently practicing in PT walking with a cane. So definitely have made a lot of progress. There are just so many things that could be said about this in terms of the inspirational aspect of it. And I've read articles about your story, but to hear you describe it, it's a different thing altogether. So that's just really moving that you were able to, to come through that. Do you wish you could focus on practicing medicine without all the distractions? Covaris is here to help. As a leader in medical professional liability insurance with more than 45 years experience, Covaris provides insurance protection with data-driven predictive modeling to help you mitigate the risk of claims. By combining insurance protection with risk analytic services, you can reduce distractions and focus on improving clinical, operational, and financial outcomes. Covaris is reinventing what you should expect from your medical professional liability provider. Find out all Covaris can offer you at Covaris.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-Y-S.com. Insurance products issued by Medical Professional Mutual Insurance Company and its insurance subsidiaries, Boston, Massachusetts. The doctors initially told you you'd likely be in the hospital for about 12 months, but you were able to leave the hospital and go to um, a rehab center in about six months. So tell us just about your sort of spirit and will to expedite that that healing process. And, and where did that come from? Uh, maybe talk about the team a little bit as well that helped you. Yeah, well, the team was tremendous in helping me because I, I really, not only did I have the moral support, I had a community of friends and neighbors that were standing by me and there to, to cheer me on. And they were helping with my family, bringing us meals and clothing my boys and planning parties and celebrations for them. But, you know, I knew they were there in support of me and I had so many prayers being sent my way. And then my husband was able to come and see me almost every single day. And that was really important. You know, in speaking with the staff there at the burn unit, the people who do not have that support from loved ones, they don't have it in them, the will and the determination to fight and to make it through. And sometimes they succumb to it, they get infections and they don't make it. So having having that community by your side is very important. But also, I've just always been a very spirited person. And I think that anyone who has ever gone through struggles in their life can relate. You know, sometimes you wonder, why is this happening to me? But when we go through those challenges in life, you know, it builds us, it, it shapes and molds us, and it, it makes us stronger. So I, I think that, you know, I was strong before, but the strength I have now does not really compare. I don't know that there's anything in life that 
can be thrown my way that would be more difficult than what I've gotten through. But I, I was pretty spirited. I, I was determined before. And like I said, my number one motivator was to get home to my boys because, you know, I work so hard to have a family and I just wouldn't have been able to imagine not being able to reap the reward and the benefit of having these two loving children. So that was my main focus. And, you know, the staff, they were so helpful because when you're there and you're alone for a majority of the day, you know, I was intubated, so I want all these machines and it's loud and I, I can't really communicate my needs for the beginning part of the IC visit. So to have the staff come in, you know, and just then be so positive with their outlook and cheery. And then finally, when I was able to communicate in with the staff, being able to make those meaningful connections, you know, made me feel like there was a focus other than getting through this incredibly hard, difficult thing. I do think that, you know, because I was there for so long, there were a lot of connections that I made and I got to know a lot of the staff and um, they're very important to me and they're, they were very important to my recovery, whether they know it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for sharing that. Now let's hear from Dr. Michael Feldman, the medical director of the Evans Haynes Burn Center, about your treatment and recovery. So I'm just going to start a little bit with Charlie because she highlights a burn injury that is very complicated. She had 85% of her body injured and it was third degree and this is going to cause a lot of stress on the patient's body. She needed very complicated care that requires specialists that can deal with your heart and your lung and your intestines and your kidneys and all of those internal organs as much as where you're burned. The burn injury doesn't just injure your skin, it causes stress on the entire body. So when, when you have a patient that has 20% or more burn injury, this is, this is going to cause a situation where the, the patient could potentially die from their injuries. So what we have is a, is a burn center that is staffed and built specifically to help burn patients. And included in those are patients with large total body surface area burns. The total body surface area is the amount or area of your body that is actually injured with second or third degree burn. So this is complicated. And when somebody comes in with a burn like this, we've already worked with our pre-hospital providers to make sure that that they know how to deal with the way the patient's breathing, to deal with their pain, to deal with their fluids. When they get into the trauma bay, we have uh, collaborative guidelines that we've set up with our trauma team, and they stabilize the patient, and then they get them up to the burn center. When they get to the burn center, we're, we're working together with a dedicated nursing staff who are trained. In fact, they train probably harder than any other nursing staff in the hospital to, to help burn patients. And by that, I mean 
they are trained to treat adult and pediatric patients. They can care for anybody from the sickest to the most well, but they are the best. Our nursing team even helps with wound care. They help with fluid resuscitation. They are the infrastructure of this burn center that that helps people to get better. We also have physical and occupational therapy. We have ICU specialists. We have nutrition support. We have respiratory support. Even our environmental services understand what we need to keep our environment clean and reduce the risk of secondary infection. All of this is also built into a burn center where this was designed to help burn patients specifically. So in the walls of each of our critical care rooms, we have extra heating coils. because you can imagine if you've lost large areas of your skin, you get cold. And if you get cold, your body has a harder time with cardiac output. It has a harder time keeping your blood pressure up. It has a harder time clotting blood. So it's really important to keep these patients uh, normothermic or, or at a normal body temperature. And sometimes you have to, to heat the room to make that happen. We also have irrigation systems. So people can come in with, say, a, a flame injury, but they have gasoline or chemical on them. And oftentimes they need to, have, to be irrigated, to be diluted or washed away from those pollutants. We have specialized lights and tables and, and access to anesthesia. Uh, and our anesthesia team is also burn specific. So they have guidelines that are designed to uh, optimize surgical outcome in terms of how much fluid they receive and pain medication and what kind of uh, IV access they need and, and catheters to, to help monitor urine output. All of that is this collaborative effort. So, so taking care of Charlie, it's not just one person. It is a whole team that comes together who's passionate about helping burn patients and optimizing outcome. And uh, in particular for Charlie, she really highlighted our use of every technology that we could bring to bear. In the past, there weren't as many options to help patients who don't have a lot of skin to replace what was lost. So now we have multiple options. And BCU supports us because these options take training. It takes time to learn how to use them. It takes a, a lot of resources to keep them stocked. They're expensive, but clearly BCU puts the patient first. They will do whatever we need for the patient to help them. So for Charlie, she had two big surgical options that helped her get better, one of which is called a cultured epidermal autograft. And that's where you send a piece of skin off to a lab outside of the hospital, and they grow skin and send it back, and we put that on. And the second technology is spray-on skin. That is um, a technology where we still harvest part of the patient's skin, but you can take a 
say, a postage stamp size piece of skin and expand it with this process 80 to 1 using this technology. And the beauty of it is that you can process that skin in the operating room. So we combined all of this technology with the, the fundamentals of burn care to, to help her recover from her, her wounds and heal and then eventually get to rehab. We also stay uh, in close touch with our rehab doctors and help coordinate wound care and recovery. And then she is such a strong person and she has such wonderful family support that she's now back at home and, and doing really well. And we're all very proud of her. At the time of the accident, Charlie, you were planning to open up a brewery. And now that you've returned home after such a long recovery, can you tell us about life now, what the future holds in the years ahead in terms of your continued recovery and adaptation? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we were very excited to open the brewery. And when the accident happened, I was actually working on some final touches for the um, kids' play area. We did go ahead and the brewery did open as scheduled, and it is very successful. And actually, last Sunday, we had the second annual Cheers for Charlie fundraiser where we had a silent auction and all the funds, you know, go to benefit my continued progression in therapy. And at this time, you know, it is a whirlwind of reality to, you know, go from a very active mom of two lively boys to needing a wheelchair and staff 24-7 to assist me with my care. And of course, my calendar is filled with doctor's appointments and therapy treatments and things. And of course, I have, you know, reconstructive surgeries for the future. So reality is very different now, but I remain determined to not reach a plateau anytime soon. So when I came home from the hospital, I was using a Hoyer lift that comes from the ceiling and the sling that goes underneath me to lift me out of bed and place me in my wheelchair. And when I went back to the hospital to have some graft work done for five weeks, within the five weeks, I progressed to using a platform walker to transfer and no longer need a lift. And at this time, now I am walking with a cane. So I'm continuing to progress. I know that life now is very different than what it was before, but the way that I choose to frame it is that, you know, I obviously am very grateful that I am here because if I did not make it, if I did not fight, if I did not survive, if I did not have the incredible staff and the amazing developments, medical advancements, science, everything, all of the above, I wouldn't be here to experience my life with my boys. And yes, maybe I can't play tag with them in the yard, but I am definitely a present person in their lives and I play with them any chance I can. And we do puzzles together. We go and do activities outside. You know, I went I went to a pumpkin patch with them and I was able to go through a corn maze because I have this amazing wheelchair that gets me around. And, you know, I'm making progress every day and I know that in the years to come, there's going to be so many more activities that I'll be able to resume. But at this time, I have to just focus on getting better. And, you know, this is going to be a lifelong commitment. But once again, I am so thankful that I am here to experience the rest of their lives because 
that was my number one focus and my number one motivator. And I am here and I am still their mom. And that's the most important thing by far. Thank you so much for sharing that. We noted earlier that your story has been shared far and wide by news media. You and your husband, Andre, also released a memoir called I Almost Lost Her, a memoir of unthinkable tragedy. You launched a website, cheeringoncharlie.com, about your story, and you've also begun some advocacy work for other burn victims. Can you tell us some about those other projects as well? Yes, absolutely. I think that the release of the book was very unique and that there are not a lot of books out there that are coming from the perspective of the advocate or the loved one and the experience of trauma that they have to endure seeing their loved ones suffer and have to go through so much pain daily. So I think that that put a whole new spin on things and it was really needed to be out there. And so um, we're hopeful to team up soon with the Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors to work on some advocacy work. And, um, you know, I eventually do want to write my book as well. Of course, my journey is still in the making, still taking steps and making great strides. So um, we'll have to wait a little longer for that. But in the meantime, I'm hoping that I can help by volunteering and assisting anyone who has either been through burn themselves or has experienced a loved one, even maybe a child. I'd love to be there for them and answer any of their questions. So however best we can help, we're ready and prepared to do that. Charlie, one of the other things that I read in some of the coverage about your recovery is that at different points in your recovery and during the surgeries and things like that, you didn't have enough blood. And we know over the course of the pandemic and since then, there's sometimes been some blood shortages. And so what I read was that one of your friends organized a blood drive in your honor. And so I wanted to give you the opportunity to share that story as well. Yes, absolutely. Yes, my amazing friend, she's so loving and giving and selfless. She was coming to visit me and I told her that I wanted to reschedule because I wasn't feeling very well. And she asked what was going on. And I told her that, you know, the blood supply at BCU was low and I'd had surgery and they'd given me what, you know, was required. But because I'm anemic now, you know, I wasn't feeling that great and I didn't quite have enough. But they offered me the option to go ahead and, and get a unit of blood or because I was having surgery the next day, I would just go ahead and get that unit while they were performing the surgery. And because I thought, well, somebody else may need this blood more than me, I'll just skip it. Um, but then my surgery didn't happen as planned. So then I went a few days without a lot of blood and it just makes you feel super fatigued and weak. And, you know, you just feel really, really ill. But my friend heard about it and she decided that she wanted to organize a blood drive in my honor. And it was pretty amazing. It was just a few weeks ago, and we ended up, there was 31 units of blood um, that were donated, and it's pretty amazing because each of my surgeries, which I had 57, I needed at least one unit, if not two. So you think that's a lot, but really that's how much it took just to save my life partially. So, you know, with the pandemic, there's been a lot of shortages, and I think that now things are very strict, and so it's harder for people. So if you are somebody who has successfully been able to donate in the past, you should definitely get on the schedule to donate regularly, especially if you're O negative like me. And if you've never considered donating blood, you know, definitely try the next time you see a blood drive in your area. Yeah, that's such an important message. Thanks for sharing that. Before we let you go, it's tradition on this podcast to ask our guests a few more lighthearted questions just to close things out. And to keep things interesting, we've developed a list of 10 mystery questions. 
So when you're ready, if you'd go ahead and pick two numbers from one to 10, I will ask you those corresponding questions. Okay, four and eight. Alrighty, number four. This is a really unique one, sort of off the wall, so I hope you're ready for it. Which, if oh, no. any of the following things, do you consider the most plausible? Bigfoot, Yeti, the Loch Ness Monster, Chupacabra, the Jersey Devil, which I must admit I am completely unfamiliar with. That's just on our list here. Or UFOs and aliens. If none of those apply, but you believe in something else along those lines, you can share that as well. Well, I certainly do believe that the universe is very large and there are so many different galaxies and I just cannot fathom a world where there may not be life outside of Earth. I'm right there with you. I think that is the logical answer, I have to say. That's, that's the logical answer. <laughs> uh, and then number eight, tell me one memory from your life that whenever you think of it, it makes you smile. Oh my gosh, there's so many. I was smiling about so many yesterday. One memory of my life that makes me smile. Okay, I will say that I had so much fun when I jumped out of the plane at 16,000 feet and skydived over the Vegas desert. <laughs> wow, that is quite the memory. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That would make me smile when and I scream, I would imagine, as well. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks so much for answering those. That's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. We want to once again thank our guest, Charlie Xavier, for joining us today. So thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure, and we wish you nothing but continued success on your road to recovery. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything.